0: The Virgin of Valkarion, Chapter 4 They trotted rapidly along the ways, their mail clanking. Ere long they were out of the deserted district and approaching the central forum. It seethed with people. All Valkarion seemed to be out tonight, moving slowly, aimlessly, under the compulsion of a nameless fear. The town buzzed with voices, low, secretive, and the shuffle of thousands of feet under the lamps and the bobbing torches. High over the muted tumult, blown on the harrying wind, chant and gongbeat came from the temple. Alfred and Hildeborg pushed their way through the milling, murmuring tide. The unease, the rising wave of fear, was like a tangible force. The northerner's skin prickled with it. Eyes, thousands of eyes, shifting and staring out of pale faces. The city was full of eyes. He heard a voice as he came to the edge of the great plaza. Thrusting forward, the tall barbarian looked over the heads of the crowd. There was a rostrum, surrounded by a tight ring of temple guards, and from atop it a robed priest was haranguing the throng. The dynasty is dead, and the wrath of the moons lies heavy over Valkyrion. Woe to the world, for the heathen fiend, the scourge of Danos, is loose. Yea, I bring hope." I, from all-merciful Mother Amaris, I bring cheer to the darkest hour. There is time, still time, to seize the barbarian, ere his power grows. There is still time, too, to seize and disown the half-caste witch Hildeborg. There is time to submit to the wise rule of the temple, that the high priest may intercede with all-father Danos. Repent and be forgiven. Destroy the evil workers who brought this trouble on you, and the mating of the moons will yet bring forth a new birth of hope. Alfred grew aware of the muttering about him, the commons of Ocarion, laborer, artisan, merchant, peasant, turning thought over and growling it to his neighbour. An ill choice to see the city ruined or bow to the shave pates. I'm afraid the moons are high and bitter bright now. They're looking down on us. I'm afraid. 'Twas Ildeborg who lowered the taxis, Twas Hildeborg and not dotard Orion or thieving Thyrakos who whipped the army into shape and beat off the Savonian invaders. What has the temple ever done for us? Save milk us for our tithes and frighten our babes with stories of godly wrath. Hush! The moons are watching! Hildeborg is beautiful. She's like a goddess as she runs through the streets and smiles on us. Amaris herself is not more beautiful. The temple is holy. The priests burned my brother for sorcery. He had one of the old books. That was all. He tried to build the machine it told of, but they burned him. They have enough old books themselves. They sit on all the wisdom of the ancients, and none of us can so much as read. The fates are abroad tonight, I'm afraid. My son is in the household. They're after his skin. He'll hang if he isn't dead already. Unless. Oh, my son is in the city guards. He told him to go hunt down the stranger and the empress. The empress. And off he went. A grim chuckle. "'I think he's sitting quietly on some corner, waiting. "'There's an old battle-axe at home. "'My grandfather bore it in the Rurian War. "'I think I could still swing it if need be.' "'I'm afraid.' "'Alfric smiled, a steely grimace in the shadow of his visor, "'and led the way onward, but he was not to pass easily. "'He thrust aside a burly peasant, who turned on him with a snarl. "'Mind your manners, Guardsman. "'It's not enough you to be traitor to the Empress.' Ay, the city guards have sat about drinking and gaming and making the streets unsafe for our daughters, said another man harshly. They didn't get off their fat butts till this chance came to go yapping off the Hildeborg. Alfred tried to shoulder past the ring of angry folk, who gathered. Aside, he called. Aside, or I use my spear. Mind your manners, guardsmen, grinned the peasant. He came closer, and Alfric smelled the wine on his breath. I say we have a little fun with these priest lovers, comrades. Will they squeal when we pammel them? Alfric's fist shot out like a ball of iron. There was a dull smack, and the peasant flew back against the man behind. The barbarian flailed out with his spear butt, and the crowd gave way. Through, he muttered to Hildeborg. Quick, we have to get away. They're our friends, she whispered frantically. Can't we reveal and bring the guard down on this unarmed mob? We wouldn't last a moment. Come. A stone clanged against the girl's helmet. She staggered. Half collapsing into Alfric's arms. The crowd growled, beastlike, and shoved in closer. Aside, shouted Alfric. Make way, or the curse of the moons is on you. You talk like a priest, said a labourer thickly. He lifted a heavy billet of wood. On em, boys! Kill em! Alfric laid the half stunned girl on the ground, stood over her, and drew his broadsword. An outlander! shouted someone back in the sea of shadowy, torchlit, hating faces. The mercenary hunting our empress! The mob surged against him. He thrust around with the sword, striking to disable, but not to kill. Though he'd slay if he had to, he thought desperately. Stones were flying, one hit him on the cheek, pain knifed through his head. Hi, Ruo! he roared and banged a skull. The mob edged away a little. Eyes and teeth gleamed white in the bloody torchlight. A trumpet blast sounded harsh and arrogant of the rising voices. Someone screamed. Alfric saw spears aloft, steel gleaming red, a squad of guardsmen to the rescue. The rescue, he groaned, lifting Hildeborg, and sought to retreat through the crowd. Too late. The guards were hacking a bloody way through the mob. It scattered in panic and the squad was there. Just in time, panted its chief. The folk are ugly. I've killed a dozen guardsmen already, to my knowledge. A Couple of priests. I don't know how many temple slaves of smart the blasphemers. Thanks. Alfred set the reviving girl on her feet. Now I have to go. Special mission. Urgent. The chief looked sharply at him. You have a barbarous accent, he said slowly, and you're no Valcariona. Who? Hildeborg groaned, stirring back to consciousness. Alfred. A boy. No. The officer stepped forth. Hildeborg's lovely face turned toward the light, and he gasped. She! Elfric picked up his spear and hurled it through the chief's throat. Then he lifted his dripping sword and stood by Hildeborg, waiting for the end. The Empress and the Heathen, we've found them! The crowd had withdrawn, milling around the edges of the forum, too frightened and confused to help. The priest and his guards were coming on the double, yelling for help. Other armed men seemed to be springing from the ground. Alive! shrilled the priest. Take them alive if you can! A thousand Gildars! The guards were well disciplined. They locked shields in a ring about Alfric and closed in. Man for man he could have laughed at them, but this way. Hildeborg swayed on her feet beside him. So this is the end, she whispered. I love you, Alfric. He howled his rage and sprang forward. The sword blurred in his hands, ringing young shields and helmets. A guard fell, shrieking, his right arm sheared off. Alfric stabbed another in the neck, kicked a third in the groin and roared. They surged around him, hemming him in with their shields. Clubbed spears thudded against his helmet and rang it like a brazen gong. He staggered, shouted, struck out again. The sword fell from his hands. He toppled into a clamouring darkness. Dimly, he was aware of being stripped of armour, chained hand and foot, hauled roughly to his feet. He lurched mechanically along, and slowly his head cleared. Through a mist of throbbing pain, he saw that Hildeborg walked beside him. Spears pricked their backs, the chains rattled on ankles and wrists. They were in the middle of a tight triple ring of guards, marching up the hill toward the temple. The villas of the Mighty lay around them, white in the moonlight, fragrant with gardens. Alric saw fountains splashing, and even then thought of the parched land beyond the walls, land that might flower again if it had that water but that would never be. He would swing high above the city. The falx would pick at his eyes. Hildeborg would die and the grip of the temple would be locked on Valkarion till its last stones were dust on the wind. Strength came back, a bleak resolve not to go down without one more fight. His brain began whirring. The old, cold craftiness of his turbulent lifetime surged forward. Hopeless, they were caught they were done. All his struggles were the vain writhings of a beast in a cage. So this ends it, Hildeborg's voice was weary. Then she smiled a little. But we made a good try, Alfrick. And warmly. And we have loved each other. That is enough. It is not, he answered. But it is something. Silence, commanded the priest. Now they were on the hill crest the mighty walls of the temple looming before them. Alphic saw it a swarm with slaves and guards and priests of all degrees. The gong beat was a steady, tremendous crashing. It seemed to fill the world with its brazen clamour. High rose the chant of the moon wedding. The warrior glanced aside, over to the palace. There was a bridge spanning the gully between the two hillcrests, and guards were on it. Other guards, city and temple, were besieging the palace he saw their fires in a ring about it. They were setting up a great ballista whose stones he knew would bring the walls down in ruin. From the hilltop he could see over the moon-whitened desert and the vast reach of the old sea bottom. Once it had been blue and alive, glittering with sunlight, the long waves rolling in to crash and foam and thunder on a dazzling beach. The harbour of Alcarion had been crowded with ships from all over the world. A forest of tall masts, a wild perfumery of salt and tar, and the spices of the south. And beyond, the land had been green, and white clouds had sailed through a soft blue summer sky. Well, it was gone. The world was dried into desert and scrubby forest and harsh meadowland, sand blue in the ancient beds of rivers and seas. The air was thin and chill and held a bitter tang of rust. The cities were in ruins, the empire was a shadow, and man was gone back to a few wretched remnants sinking into barbarism and death. Alfric looked up to the cold, splendid night sky. There was a tradition from the wise ancients, he had once been told, that those swarming, bright star hosts were other worlds and suns, happier maybe than this. It was some consolation. The moons were near their mating now. Bright Danos was sweeping triumphantly down on pale Mother Amaris. He would cover her, and then pass on, and out of that wedding would come the fate of the world. Cold fate, dark destiny, night and famine and death. The moons hurtling over a world sunk into final oblivion. Well, men died, sometime or other, and all they could do about it was to meet the end bravely. Alfred squared his shoulders and marched into the temple. There was a long corridor at the end of which he saw a vast room, flashing in gold and silver and fiery jewels, draped with the costliest ancient tapestries. Even then, Alfric's eyes gleamed greenly to loot that room. They turned off along another hall, and then down a stone-cut flight of steps into the temple dungeons. Alfric had been in enough jails before not to find the damp, rough-hewn rock tunnels strange, but Hildeborg shuddered and pressed closer to him. A scream echoed down the corridor, rose and fell, and died raggedly into the echoes. The priest smirked. A heretic is being shown the error of his ways, he said unctuously. He blasphemed against the moons and swore he would abide by the Empress. Then the gods abide by him, said Hildeborg defiantly. The gods thrust them into a cell, little more than a cave chipped out of the hill's heart and locked their chains to staples in the walls. They were held barely able to move, facing each other, with a few scant inches between them. Miles between. A world between, thought Alfric wearily. He would never kiss her again. The guards clanged the door shut and left them in utter darkness. Hildeborg's voice trembled, but she spoke bravely. What can we do? Nothing now, the barbarian strained against his chains felt their solidity and relaxed. Wait for a chance, maybe. Otherwise, die. I don't want to die, Elfric. I want to live. I want to see the sky, and feel the wind, and bear your sons. I don't enjoy the thought of death either, dearest, if we had fled to Aslak. But we didn't, and for myself I am still glad, though that you should die too. Her voice broke, and he heard her quiet sobbing in the dark. He tried to find words but they were awkward, so he fell into silence. Presently the door opened again. A man came in, with only two torch-bearing temple slaves accompanying. Afric looked at his magnificent robes, and knew him for Therokos, the high priest. He was tall, stoop-shouldered, a little on the fat side, but well-muscled underneath. His face was wide and heavy, sallow under the high-shaven forehead, the mouth hard and thin the eyes small and black and glittering cold. When he spoke, his voice was wondrous, a deep organ which he played like a master musician. So we meet again, your majesty, he said and bowed. There was little mockery in his tones. He seemed straightforward and businesslike. Hildeborg did not answer. She stood with her beauteous form in its ragged soldier's tunic pressed against the wall. Her sweat-dampened black hair clumped to her forehead fell down her shoulders in a shining wave. In the restless torchlight her face was white and drawn, streaked with blood and dirt and the tracks of tears. But she gave the high priest glance for glance and her lips were steady. Therakos looked Alfric's tall form up and down. "'And so you are the conqueror of the prophecy,' he murmured. "'A mighty man. But just how did you think you could do it? Who are your allies in the city? What was your plan?' I am Alfric of Aslac, and I came here without friends or plan, knowing nothing of any prophecy, answered the barbarian coldly, and you are a misbegotten son of a she gum, with whose head I will yet play football. Come now, said Thoracos softly, surely you do not expect me to believe you are here by mere chance. Your cause is lost, you are doomed, but you can save yourself the Inquisition, and die easily, if you will tell us what you know. I know nothing, you Gerard. You may know more after the Inquisitionists have worked on you a while, said the raucous coldly, then turning to Hildeborg, his voice suddenly rich and warm, throbbing with love and pity. My lady, you do not know how I regret this, that the Empress of Algarion should, even for dire necessity, be thus humiliated is the greatest sorrow of my life. Hildeborg's lip curled. I see you weeping, she said coldly but I do, my lady. My heart is ashes within me. Only need drove me to this, and it is not yet too late to repent, your majesty. What the moons have taken, the moons can restore. Surely, my lady, said the Rukas reasonably, you can see the absolute necessity of my actions. Under the law you could not rule, and there was no imperial heir. Without the strong hand Leaderless Valcarion would have split under the quarrelling of the nobles and the lawlessness of the commons, easy prey for barbarian enemies such as this man, and the sibyl's warning would have come true. With the Imperium gone, the temple, sole remaining pillar of Elcarion, must bear the burden of state. In other words, said Hildeborg coldly, you will have yourself anointed theocrat. The moons have seen fit. Thus to honour my unworthiness, said the but it would still be well if we should unite our forces. You have many loyal friends, my lady, myself not the least of them. If you will but wed me, we can together unite the factions in the city and build the empire anew. She smiled, almost a sneer. Yours was a strange courtship. I have told you how the necessity grieved me, said the priest. Suddenly his voice came hard as steel, cold as winter and death. It is now my duty to offer you a choice, call on your troops to surrender, your followers in the city to desist from their treasonous activities, and wed me this night, or, he paused, burn at the stake for blasphemy and witchcraft, but first you will be tied down, and every slave in the temple have his way with you. That might not be worse than leading my men into your hands, she fled but her face was suddenly bloodless. You will be surprised how much worse it will be, especially since your men will die anyway, but I will offer you this too, if you call on them to surrender, those who do may go into exile. She stirred a moment in silence, and Elphic knew what horror must be clawing her heart. Then she nodded toward him. What of my protector here? The heathen bandit must die in any case, that the city may know itself safe from him and the prophecy said the Rakas, He still has his choice of easy hanging or slow torture, but if you refuse me, Hildeborg, he will no longer have the choice. He will go to hell by inches, cursing you for it. The lovely dark head bowed. It was as if a flame had gone out. Afric felt ill at seeing her thus broken, given over to a lifetime's poisoning. Golden chains they would be, but no less heavy and galling. Goodbye, my dear, he whispered. Goodbye, I will always love you. She made no reply, but said to Thiracus tonelessly. I yield me, Lord.